Somebody lift up a shout of praise. He was born to conquer the grave. church this morning.
small verses that the creation itself will be set free. It didn't say you're going to be held bondage, but set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. If you claim that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're no longer a slave. Nothing holds you in bondage anymore. You have ultimate freedom because of Jesus Christ. And we can't celebrate Easter without first celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ who came to the world to set us free from our sin. Amen. Do you believe that this morning? Let's give him another hand clap of praise.
child of God who claims that this morning. I am a child of God. Can you just say that again? I am a child of God. Lord, we're so thankful this morning that we can be called sons and daughters. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. One more time. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Thank God I am a child of God. Father, we thank you that, God, that sometimes that when we're in situations that seem insurmountable, God, just like the children of Israel when they were there at the Red Sea, God, it looked as if there was no way that they were going to come out victorious. They had the enemy chasing them from behind, and God, in front of them, there was a raging big body of water. God, in that moment, you said you don't have to fear. God, in our lives, when we are up against situations that seem as if they'll not ever work out, God, I pray that in that moment that we will remember your word that tells us that fear is a liar. God, that we do not have to listen. God, we can stand in victory, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And God, I pray that for anyone here today that they may have come in with things that they feel as if will eventually take them out. God, today, may they be given encouragement to know God, that you're a good God and that you love us with an everlasting, unconditional love. And God, that you, if we will walk with you, God, that if we will trust in you, God, that we become your child. And Father, you're not going to let your child be defeated. Father, we thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen. Look at somebody and let them know that you are glad that they're at Gateway Church uh, this first Sunday in December. (laughs) You may have noticed in front of you, uh, there is um, QR codes on the back of the pews. 
if you scan that, it'll pull up the restaurant, your favorite restaurant menu. No, not really. Um, if you scan that, that'll take you to what we uh, call the gateway lobby. And from there, uh, you can um, do uh, just about anything that you need to do. If you're new, you can click on, if you're new, guess what you would click on? It says, I'm new. You would click on that. It'll ask you three questions. Uh, if you have been with us before, there's a button for you to check in. And uh, that will take you to, to an app that you can check in to just let us know that you're here. Uh, when we first started Gateway, we said we do not want uh, people to just be a number. Uh, we want them to know that we're concerned about them and when they're here and when they're not. Uh, so when you do that, now, if you are stubborn and you don't check in, uh, you'll probably get a phone call or a text message from me that says, I missed you on Sunday. And then your response to that will be, well, I was there. And then my response to that will be, well, you didn't check in. So if you want the pastor checking up on you, just don't check in, okay? Uh, but we are so glad that you're here, and we're thankful uh, for what God is doing. We're looking forward to the month of December. We're looking forward to 2022. Uh, we believe that God has better things in store for us, uh, and that 2022 will absolutely be the best year, not only in your life, but in the lives of this church. And uh, we know that, that God has things planned. And today we're closing out a series uh, that we have been attempting to revisit the foundation that Gateway Church was started with. We've entitled the series, I Love My Church. And uh, we set out 15 years ago to plant a church. Now, when we did that, it was more than just a desire to simply have another group of people gathering at another building uh, in the town of Ashland. Uh, it was more than a, than a desire just to have a place that we could go to say that we went to church. What it, the vision behind Gateway was, was to create a place that when people looked at it, their first thought would be, man, there's something different about that place. Their first thought would be, man, there is something supernatural about that place. Uh, nothing that we could do, but it's knowing that, that God wants to do supernatural things in our midst. We wanted to create a place that people would look at and know that there was no way that man built it. When we started Gateway Church, we wanted to create a place that, that was more than just a Sunday experience. Instead, it was, a, it was a place where people would gather together and they would do life together. It would be a place that would fulfill the scripture that says, hurt when others hurt. And rejoice when others rejoice. Mourn when others mourn. A place where people became as close to each other as they were with their actual family. We said with Gateway Church, we want it to be not only supernatural, but we want it to be relational. We also wanted a church where people would be attracted to. Many of us, many of you, maybe grew up in a, in a church where... Uh, people would look down on those who didn't act like them or think like them or dress like them or even worship like them. You may know people and we knew people that personally who had been hurt by religious people and religious churches. We knew people who were no longer uh, believed that the church was an important part of their Christianity we knew people who had, would say that they loved God, but they didn't love the church, his bride. And we said, we want to create a place where 
that's all changed, that people are attracted to, coming to and being part of the church. We had the motto, and, and we said that we were creating a place for you. In other words, in, in the same manner that Jesus interacted with the woman at the well, uh, the story that we visited last week in John chapter 4, when he visited with that woman, despite her past, despite her differences, despite her pain, he addressed her and he allowed her to know that there was a place in the family of God for her. People were attracted to Jesus, not because of his outward appearance. Isaiah said that there was nothing majestic about his appearance. In other words, there was nothing by looking upon him that people would have been attracted to the way he, that he looked. But we know all throughout scripture that people were attracted to him. And they were attracted to him because of his heart. Because that he proved time and time again that he cared. They were attracted to the way that he went out of his way for people. They were attracted to him because he didn't allow the religious people of the day to, to stop him from reaching out to them, even if they didn't fit the mold that many thought they should. So today I want to close this four-part series on I Love My Church. And I want to look at the, first, the fourth aspect of the church that will help us be the church that God's called us to be. We believe that the church should not only be supernatural, relational, attractional, but that it should be missional. You say, well, pastor, what does that mean? What does that mean as a group of believers, as a local fellowship? What does it mean to be missional? If you've been here for a week or 15 years, you've heard us talk about how that our goal has been being faithful to impact the community that's around us. And when I think about that, all kinds of things come to mind when we think about being missional. I think about giving out Thanksgiving baskets or providing Christmas for kids or handing out water in the park or having a, a giveaway where everything is free or, or, or doing a, events like trunk or treat. All of those things are part of being a missional church, but that's not all that it entails. Doing and giving things is not all that fulfilling the mission pertains to. You see, a missional church is a church that is focused and faithful. Missional lives are focused and faithful. You know, too many times it's, it's very easy to lose our focus. It's very easy to not be faithful. But if we're going to fulfill the mission individually and as a church, we have to realize and understand that we have to be focused and faithful. And that's what we're using this series to do because we want to, to make sure that we're focused and our focus is where it needs to be. Today I want to look at a, a story found in Acts chapter 3. And this is a story that after Jesus has, has left the earth and We've already learned about how that the, in Acts 1 and 2, how that the Holy Spirits came and, and they start doing church and the New Testament church is born. And in this passage of scripture, we find Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. 
And as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And, and as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. And he jumped up and stood on his feet and began to walk. And then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. And all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. When we look at this passage of Scripture, the first thing that I want you to see in this passage of Scripture is, and the first thing that we must do to be able to stay focused and to stay faithful is we have to be willing to engage Christ. Engage Christ, not just once, but continually engage Christ. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, there was a moment that you engaged him. There was a moment that, that you engaged Christ and you said, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And that was an engaging moment. But so often when we engage him at that, that setting, uh, then we forget and we stop engaging him. Because God comes to us after we say, I, I want to follow you. He will come to us continually. And he'll say, I want you to take the next step. And how we answer that question determines the course of our life. There, first of all, are very practical ways that you can engage him. You notice in, in verse 1 of this passage of scripture in Acts chapter 3, it says Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. And this was something that happened every day. The hour of prayer happened every day at 3 p.m. They had a systematic way of engaging him. In other words, they were headed to church. And for us, it's important that we have a systematic way that we come before him. We have a systematic way that allows us to engage him. A routine. A schedule. Attending church, having a prayer time, having time that, that you go into the word and you study. No matter where you are on your journey, you can never stop engaging him. Because there's times that, that when we engage him, when we go before him in prayer or in our Bible reading or in a setting such as this, we'll hear him whisper from heaven. And in those moments that when we're engaging him, he will speak to us. But not only do we have to have a systematic way of engaging him, we also have to be willing to spontaneously engage him. You see, Peter and John were on their way to church, but something got their attention. And I believe that there's times that God is looking to get our attention, but we miss it. We're too busy. We're too caught up in ourselves. We're, we're simply unaware. 
And there's moments that God says, I want to be engaged with you. I want you to engage me more than just that scheduled time that you come to church. More than that scheduled time that you read your Bible or that you pray. We have to be willing to to spontaneously and not only systematically engage him. If you want to live a mission-filled life, you have to continually be engaging with him. And engaging with him is saying yes to the questions that he's asking him. If you're a follower of Christ, there was that moment that you said yes to his lordship. And in that moment, you come to, to, to be his follower and to know him. But after that, he will start to ask you questions. He will say, will you lead a life group? Will you serve? Will you simply be nice to the person you work with? Will you reach out to, to that person who is hurting? Will you help provide a, a Christmas for, for a child that needs it or for a family that needs it? Will you buy that person a, a hamburger or whatever the question that God is asking you? These are moments that we have a chance to engage him. These are moments that we have a chance to, to spontaneously say yes. And if you're engaging him, I can promise. If you're listening, I can promise. If you're aware, I can promise that he has questions that he's asking you today. Have you ever known that someone wants to ask you a question and you really don't want to hear the question because if you hear the question, you're going to have to give an answer. And the answer that you're going to have to give, you really don't want to answer the question. You avoid the situation. Why do you do that? Uh, sometimes it's because that the answer that you're going to have to give is scary. Sometimes it's because the answer is, it's hard. And when we look at ourselves and we ask ourselves, what is he asking of me? What step is he asking me to take? It might be scary. It might cause you to get out of your comfort zone. It might be hard but he's asking you to take it. And when you step out, welcome to the life of faith because we live by faith and not by sight. And there's times that, that we just have to step out and just say, yes, yes, God, I'll do it. Yes, God, I'll engage you. Yes, God, I'll, I'll do what you're asking me to do. Uh, one of the saddest things in, in life is, is when I find somebody who, who is a follower of Christ, but, but the, it seems as if they've become bored in their Christianity. They've become bored or, or disinterested or, or disconnected. And usually the reason why is, is because they, they stepped into following him. And they may have been following along, but then they get to a point or get to a moment when they just stop. And when they stop, they become bored. Have you ever been somewhere and you're just, you're just standing there? Maybe you're waiting on someone. And you're just, you know, maybe, uh, maybe that significant other's, you know, trying to finish their Christmas shopping and, and you're just standing there waiting on them to get done. And you're standing there waiting. And you're standing there waiting. Um, my daughter, since she's not here, I tell you, she's got one speed and it's slower than slow. And we, we'll go out and get in the car and, and we're sitting there and we're sitting there and we're sitting there and, and, and we're waiting on her and, and we're waiting on her and... and, and in those moments, you're thinking, okay, hurry up. 
And then, and then you're bored. And then you just get to the point you don't even care. Well, whatever. Sometimes we do that in our Christianity. Sometimes that happens to us. And the reason is, is because God has been asking us a question. God has been asking us to, to take the next step, but we've ignored it. Or, or we've even argued with God. Or, or we've just avoided the question altogether. But as we look through the Bible, when God wants to do something significant in the earth, he always comes to his people and he asks a question. And we start way back in the book of Genesis. When he wanted to restore relationship with mankind, what did he do? He came to Adam and he asked, where are you? Where are you, Adam? And that was the beginning of the restoration. In Genesis 18, he came to Abraham when he had promised him a child and he asked, I know you're old, but he asked, is anything too difficult for the Lord? He came to Moses and he asked, Moses, what is in your hand? I want to use you to lead the nation of Israel. He came to Samuel in Samuel chapter 16 and he said, how long are you going to grieve over Saul since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? He said, get up and stop your whining and go anoint David. David's going to, to lead my people. In all of these instances, he asked a question to move his mission forward. Some of you, Christ has asked you a question. And my challenge to you today is, is quit whining and quit arguing and just go do it. In Joshua chapter 1, he, he came to Joshua and he said, Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? He's always came to people and asked a question when he wanted to move his mission forward. 2 Samuel chapter 12, God sent Nathan to ask David why he had despised the word of the Lord and done such a horrible deed. And when he did that, that led to David confessing his sin. And then that led to the mighty things that David was able to do. In the passage that we have based the series around, it's found in Matthew chapter 16. Verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In that moment, once again, he's asking a question. He's looking at the disciples and he's saying, who do they say that I am? Who do they say that I am? Now, I believe that Jesus knew already the answer to the question, but he asked that question to start the dialogue. Because the next question that he wanted to ask was, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It was that question. It was that question, who do you say that I am? That was the question that changed our lives forever. That was the question that launched what we know as the New Testament church. That was the question that allowed us to come together and to, for the, his mission to go forward. My question to you is, is, what is God asking you today? What is he asking you? Are you willing to say yes? Are you willing to spontaneously engage him? Secondly, we must be willing to engage culture. Engage culture. Many of us live in a bubble. 
Many of us, we live in our own little world. We're not worried about the things outside. We have little or no concern about the things around us. But if we're going to live a missional life, we must engage culture. We must understand that not everyone lives like we do. Not everyone have, has kids who always do the right things. Can somebody say amen? Not everyone has a three-bedroom house with a two-car garage and a job where they don't have to worry about where their next meal's coming from. So many times we live in our own little world and we forget about the world that's around us. In Acts chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. One version says, look on us. And it says, the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. When we think about this passage of scripture, we think about how many times this lame man was just passed by. We think about how many times that people just missed it. I mean, they were on their way to do their deal. They were on their way to church. And they had passed him by. How many times are there that we refuse to engage culture? How many times in our lives do we say that we're just too busy to engage the people around us? How many times do we look at the people around us and we simply just don't want to be bothered? We've been there. I've been there. How many times have you seen someone at, I was at a grocery store uh, just this past week, and there was somebody set up on the side, and they were selling things. And uh, they're there quite often, and I've bought a couple of things a couple of times, but this day, I, I just really didn't have time. I didn't have any money. Uh, I just want to be bothered. So I parked on the side where he couldn't see me, and I waited until he engaged with someone else, and then I snuck in the door. And then on the way out, I stood and fooled around with the cart and started talking to somebody else, and I snuck out the door and slipped right past him. Why? Because I didn't want to be bothered. I, I didn't really, I didn't have time. I was too busy. And there's many times in our life that I, really I was scared of what they, he was going to ask this time. There's times in our life that we're scared to engage things. There's times in our life that, that, that maybe we feel like that what they need, we don't have. Maybe there's times in our life that we don't take the time to, to completely recognize their real need. You see, the lame man was asking for money, but that's not what he needed. What he needed was healing. But when we're willing to, to live a life and we're willing to engage culture, when we're engaging culture, we're living a life that says, Look on us. Look on us. We want people to look at us for answers. If you have a marriage and you've been successful in that marriage, your marriage is screaming, look on us. Because there's people who, who do not have a, a successful marriage in the way that you do. And they look at your marriage and they're thinking, man, if my marriage could just be like that. So your marriage is saying, look on us. Maybe you built a successful business and you've done it God's way. 
And there's people that, that are looking at that thinking, man, if I, could just, if I could do something like that, your business and your life is screaming, look on us. As a church, we want people to realize that, that what we have done, the things that we have done in the community, we want people to know that they can look on us, that they can count on us. And that's not being arrogant. That is the kingdom. That's engaging culture. When you engage culture, you develop a, a, a place where people know that, that they can look at you and they can come to you and that you are concerned about what they're going through and that you're going to do everything that you can to engage them. And when they look on us, we have to be ready. Not to just give them what they're asking for, but to give them what they need. Verse 6 of this passage of Scripture, once again, it says, Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. There's some of you sitting here today that, that, that you haven't engaged in culture. And you haven't engaged in being a servant. You haven't engaged in serving. And the reason is because you feel inadequate. One of the, the, the biggest things that the enemy uses is feeling of inadequacy. You think that, that, that I don't have what they need. Or what I have, they don't need. Can I tell you that Jesus never, will never ask you for what you don't have. Jesus will never ask you for something that you don't have. But what he asks you to do is to give what you do have. And in order to give what you do have, you have to recognize what you have. You can't try to be someone else. A lot of times we, we think, well, I can't help with that because. And then we list out all the reasons. Well, I, I can't speak like he speaks. Or, or I don't have the, the financial ability to help the way that they have the ability to help. Or, or I don't have the, the patience with kids that, that, that they have. Whatever it may be, God's saying don't look at and compare yourself to someone else. He's saying be willing to, to engage culture and understand that you have something that culture needs. Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but I'm going to give you what I do. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, he said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You've received without paying, now give without pay. In other words, he's saying, you've been given freely, now freely give. And God has put things in your life that, that he's asking you, don't keep them to yourself. He's given you things in your life and, and he's saying, engage culture. Understand that not everybody has it like you. Understand that there's people out there that want to know that you care. There are times that, that Reese will want to tell me about something, maybe a TV show that she's watching. <coughs> and when she begins talking, I have to say in my mind, you need to care about this. Because... Honestly, I, I don't care about Buff and Duddy, Buff and, what's his name? Duff and, yeah, Buff. 
See, I, I, do, I do care. I listen, I promise. Duffin' Buddy, she likes watching these cooking shows. And she'll tell me about it. And, you know, season four is out. And she just, she's so excited. And the worst thing that I can do is just blow her off. I need to engage with her. I need to let her know that I care. Why? Because there'll be a day that she's going to need to know that I care. And it's going to be about something much more important than Duffin' Buddy. And the world is the same way. They have to know that we care. And the only way that they can know that we care is that if we engage them. Individually engaging people. Corporately engaging culture. This is the strength of our life. The strength of our life is when we give whatever that we have. And the only way that we know what people need is to engage them. Peter and John would have never known. They would have, this man would have never been healed. They wouldn't have taken the time. I look and, you know, John doesn't say much. He doesn't say anything in this. We don't know what he was thinking. He could have been saying, okay, Pete, let's go. Let's go. We're going to be late. Let's go, get in, you know, get in the car, let's go. We're going to be late, we got to get there. But Peter took time to engage this lame man, and he was healed. Third thing is we need to engage community. Now, if you've been around here at all, you have to know that we're not going to close out a series about why Gateway was created any other way than talking about community. Uh, if you've been here at all, you're probably... Uh, sick of hearing about it, okay? But this is just who we are, engaging community. After this man's need was met, the Bible tells us that he immediately went into the community of believers. You see, he was crippled. He couldn't enter into the temple. But when his need was met, the Bible tells us in seven, verse 7 through 10 that he was immediately that he jumped up, that he was praising God, that he was excited, and he went into the temple. He went to where the people were. And when he did, everyone knew. They said, wait a minute, this is the man who has been by the gate. This is the man that we have passed by. And this comes on the heels of what had just we had been told in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44 through 47. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When I read that passage of Scripture, the, the main theme that I take out of those verses is that people who live and value community flourish. It says that they went to the temple together. They broke bread together. 
They shared what they had with each other. And because of that, no one was in need. And because of that, it says that the, the number in their fellowship, the number who came to join their family, the number who became believers, it says it increased daily. Daily. When I look at not just, and I'm talking about the church in general. And I look at people who refuse to live in community. And I think about why is it? Why is it that we can have so many things that point to life being better together? Why is it that we continue to see people isolated? Why is it? And the only thing that I can come up with is that we don't value it. Because when you value something, it becomes a priority. It becomes a priority. My mama used to always tell me, you do what you want to do. I was like, mama, I ain't got time to do that. You do what you want to do. And I begin to think about that. And I think about, there's been those football games that were 12 o'clock kickoffs in Morgantown, three hours and 15 minutes away. And, and I was unable to, to maybe go up the night before. And um, I would get up. It was the only time that I realized that six o'clock came twice in a day. It was because I was doing something that I wanted to do. Uh, we have a couple of people that they drove to Indianapolis last night, yesterday, got home six o'clock this morning because they wanted to watch Michigan win their first championship game. They did what they wanted to do. Why? Because it was a priority. It was important. And I begin to, to take a step back and look at why is it we don't live in community? Why is it that we don't understand? It's just not a priority. We've placed everything else above it. But I'm telling you that if we're going to be missional, that we have to value community. We have to value being together. And I'm not talking about just being together and, and, and watching a, a TV series. I'm talking about coming together for the purpose of doing ministry. Talking about ministry. You see, community has always been in the heart of God. What happened when Adam was created? He looked at Adam and said, it's not good that you're alone. So he gave him Eve. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he didn't send them alone. The Bible said he sent them out together. In this passage, we see that Peter and John were doing life together. They were headed to the temple together. People who live missional lives will make it a priority. And they will value the concept of gathering together more than just that passage of scripture says they, they, came to get, they came to the temple together, but it doesn't stop there. But in American Christianity, so often that's where we stop. Well, I, I do the one out of three. It's not good enough. 
It's not going to allow us to fulfill the mission. Missional lives value gathering together. One of the saddest truths is, is that some of the loneliest people in the world are right here in this room. Some of the loneliest people in the world are watching us, our Facebook feed today. Some of the loneliest people are sitting here just waiting for someone to invite them somewhere. Why? Because they value and they long for community. And if you're here today and and you're waiting for someone to ask you, my challenge to you is, is step out of your comfort zone and just pursue it. Step out of your comfort zone and say, hey, what are you doing for lunch today? Hey, what do you you got going on tomorrow? You say, well, this is not who I am, Pastor. I'm telling you, it may not be who you are, but if you will take that next step, it will change your life. The enemy wants to isolate us so that he can destroy us. It's that simple. He wants to isolate us so that he can destroy us. Can I tell you, there's no Lone Rangers in the kingdom. Everybody needs a Tonto. How many people remember that show? How many people have no idea what I'm talking about? The youngin over here. Somebody fill her in, okay? There's no Lone Rangers. And the reality is, is we are all looking for community, whether we admit it or not. And the reason we're looking for a community of people is because we want to go from a place where we're simply tolerated to a place where we can be celebrated. When you look at this man, he was outside the temple. And I can promise you that most likely he was just being tolerated. I can promise you that, that after a while, everybody going to the temple, his gig became old. They're thinking, oh, it's him again. They're giving him the, they didn't have cell phones to pick up and act like they were on then, but, but they were doing something. He was just being tolerated. But when he was healed and he entered into community, he was no longer tolerated. He was celebrated. It says they were astounded. They were happy. They knew that who he was and, and what God had done in his life. And community is a place where we can be celebrated. Community is a place where, where we can come together and, and our lameness will become whole. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power <coughs> and produces wonderful results. <coughs> Why is God wanting you to get into community? Why is he waiting for you to get into community? It's because we need each other. There are times that we're going through things or maybe we're making mistakes. And and this, this says that if you want to be made whole, that you come together and you confess your sins and you pray for each other, that you may be healed, that you may be made whole. God is waiting for you to engage community. When we look at these three Things that we must engage, Christ, culture, and community. Being missional really comes down to what we've talked about the last three weeks. Engaging Christ is supernatural. Engaging culture is attractional. Because when people know that you care, they're attracted to you. And engaging community is relational. And it takes those three things... When we look at Jesus, Jesus was supernatural. Jesus was attractional. 
Jesus was relational. And because of those three things, it took those three things for him to be able to complete his mission. What was his mission? He came to seek and save that which was lost. And those three things, it was something that was supernatural. It was something that people had to be attracted to him. They had to listen to him. And he had to build relationships with them. And when we look at our own lives, we have to ask ourselves the question, how much do we look like Jesus? How much do we look like Jesus? Some of you today, he's looking at you and, and he wants to be Lord of your life. He's asking you that question. And to that, I challenge you to say yes. Some of you, he's asked you other questions and you've been arguing with him and, and you've wrestled with him. And, and you've been avoiding the question and, and you haven't engaged him. He's going to make it clear to you. And for some of you, he's saying, get outside of your bubble. Get outside of the world that you live in. Understand that not everyone lives like you and engage culture. For others, he's saying, get into a place where you'll go from being isolated and just being tolerated to where you can be celebrated. Get into a place where the lame parts in your life, he can make whole. Find community. When thinking about this crippled beggar, there's some things that we can take in the context of this story that it doesn't actually say. <laughs> but something that we know is, is that Jesus had to have passed this man by often because Jesus went to the temple. And the Bible says that he had been there since birth every day. So Jesus had passed him by and he had never healed him. Now, we don't know why Jesus never healed him. There could have been many different reasons. But no matter the reason, we know that when Jesus left the earth, that this man was still crippled. And we also know that when Jesus left the earth, that he told his disciples to continue the work that he had started. In other words, he told them, listen, don't forget the mission. Don't forget the mission. And so when they were walking by this man who was suffering, who was in need, in that moment, I have to believe that they remembered the words of Jesus. And they remembered, this is why he came. And they remembered, he's ascended, he's gone. But he's commanded us to continue and carry on what he started. And in that moment, they remembered the mission. And because that they did, they became part of something supernatural. They became part of something relational. And they became part of something attractional. And when I think about us individually and as a church, we have to know that there's work to do. There's work to do. And if we're going to live a missional life, we have to remember the mission. We have to be willing to engage him, to engage culture, and to engage community. And when we do that, we can fulfill the mission that he left for us to fulfill. 
as long as you're still breathing, there's still work to do. As long as there's someone like this beggar, this crippled man, who needs something that we have and we can give, there's work to do. And so as we close out this series and we steam rapidly toward 2022, if we're going to do and fulfill the mission, we've got to be willing to do those three things. The reason that Gateway Church was started. This month worth of sermons I believe is to point us toward to remembering why. Why church? And as we go into 2022, and, and I told you before, this is not just preacher talk. 2022 is going to be the greatest year in the life of this church and in your life individually if we will do these things. By the grace of God, with His help and His strength, we're going to reach this community. Get ready for it. It's not going to be easy. But it's going to happen. And I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. And here's how we're going to close this service. First of all, if you're here and you've never taken that first step, if you've never engaged Christ for that first time, or maybe you're here and, and you engaged Him at, at some point in your life, but, but you've never, you're just sort of stuck now. You think, man, this is, this is all there is to it. You're thinking, man, there's got to be more. And God's speaking to you this morning and He's saying, there is more. There is more to life. There is more than what you currently have. But he says, you have to engage me. So if you're here today, I want you to know that engaging him is as simple as just saying, God, I want more of you. If you've never asked him into your life, it's as simple as saying, God, I, I need you in my life. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you died for my sin. I want to engage you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be restored. You may be here and you may have, you may be guilty of just being too busy. You're just too busy. You're not engaging culture. You're not, you're too busy for the people around you. And I want to challenge you. Don't let opportunities pass you by. Be aware of your situation and what God places before you. You may be here and you may have been here 15 years and you're still resisting community. You're still just satisfied with, with coming in every week and systematically engaging, not being part of what God called us to be part of or maybe you're here and, and you're new here and, and the reason that you're here is because you can sense 
that we value community. And you're just trying to figure out how, how can I get involved? How can I be part of that community? Just pursue it. And I promise you going into 2022 that we will do everything that we can do as a church to give you avenues to be in community. But when those avenues are given, you have to take them. And it might require you stepping out of your comfort zone, but I promise you, you won't regret it. You won't regret it. So my challenge to you is look at yourself right where you are, no matter where you are on your journey. And as we pray, we're going to pray that God will do some supernatural things. You may be facing a situation that you need something supernatural. He's a supernatural God. You may be thinking, I can never do what he's talking about. The Bible says that with him all things are possible. Even if they seem insurmountable. So let's pray. Father, I come before you right now. God, you see every person in this auditorium. God, you see every person who's, who's listening today. God, you know our hearts. And Father, I pray that today that you will allow us to know that you love us. God, that you love us so much that you sent your son to be born. God, to live on this earth, to suffer death all for us. And Father, I pray that as days go by and God, as life continues to be busy and God, never let us forget the mission. God, we understand and know that, that you left us here to carry out your mission. And God, you're asking us questions and you're wanting us to say yes to those questions. Yes, we will do and carry on the mission that you have called for us to do. God, for those who need something supernatural today. Father, I pray that you will do something in their life that when others look, they will know and realize that it didn't happen by just man. But God, something supernatural took place in their lives. Father, let us be the church that you've called us to be. And God, as we move into a new year, God, I pray that you will put in our hearts to seek you like never before. Father, I love you and I praise you and I thank you for what you're doing in our lives individually and for what you're doing in this church corporately. God, I look forward and truly believe that the best is yet to come. God, thank you for being so faithful. In Jesus' name. Can we close with this course? All my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God Can we sing that again? All my life all my life you have been faithful 
life you have been so